Hello and welcome to Academy of Blues. Academy of Blues is a Chelsea Football Club podcast created and hosted by a couple of Chelsea fans talking all things blue as a means to escape boredom. In this episode, we talk about the best and worst Chelsea signings in recent years as we look at the contenders and the pretenders for best Chelsea signing in the last 10 years. More excitingly, this episode is also the beginning of a brand new recurring topic with an Academy of Blues. Join us in our new series, Road to Champions League Glory, as we revive and relive the glorious 2011-12 Champions League journey that culminated in what is undoubtedly our greatest night ever. So, sit back and enjoy this deep dive into glorious and failed transfers, and drink in this slow burner of a journey to dominating Europe. That's right, get those keys to that time machine out, because we are jumping into the past of our beloved Blues. You're listening to episode 4 of Academy of Blues, which is titled in the beginning. I'm your host, Matty Gilbert Christos, and today I'm joined by a man who consistently gets into this podcast starting lineup, coronavirus or not. Of course, I'm talking about my co-host and my good friend, Daniel Gonzalez. Daniel, welcome to Academy of Blues, episode four. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm excited to be in the lineup. I'm ready to show what I got. You're shock- <laughs> Shockingly, you're starting for the fourth game in a row. You know, so, sub me on, coach. <laughs> me on. I'm expecting a lot of things from you, a lot of good things from you today. So, uh, Daniel, before we do get started and we jump into part one of today's episode, I want us to take a moment to honor a former Chelsea player. As you might have heard on Easter Sunday, news broke out that former Chelsea keeper Peter Bonetti passed away from illness. Um, what I'm going to do is this play this next piece of clip and I uh, just want to let you know that this next piece is a recording that is borrowed slash taken slash stolen from the Chelsea FC Instagram. Uh, it does give us a sweet, sweet, sweet glimpse into the life of Peter the Cat Bonetti. And so let's have a listen. In modern football, legend is a description much overused. In this case, though, there is no dispute. Peter Bonetti is one of Chelsea Football Club's greatest ever players. Through thick and thin, with gloves and without, he made an astonishing 729 Chelsea appearances across almost 20 years of service for the Blues. Only Ron Harris has played more. Born just down the road in Putney, he made his debut as an 18-year-old in 1960 and kept a clean sheet, the first of 208 shutouts, a record that Petr Cech finally managed to break in 2014. By the spring of 1960, along with fellow junior blues like Terry Venables and Bobby Tamley, he'd helped Chelsea win the FA Youth Cup for the first time in club history. In general terms, though, this was, of course, a period when silverware and glory were far fewer and further between even during the relative highs of the 60s and early 70s. When those moments did arrive, however, the cat, as he'd quickly become known, always seemed to be a central figure. His performances in the promotion season of 1963 were crucial to that success, and he was the hero against Leicester two years later as the Blues lifted the League Cup. Again, it was the first such trophy for the club. Further finals brought further brilliance, not least in the famous and infamous FA Cup triumph of 1970, yet another first for the Blues. 
Despite an early injury in that battle with Leeds, the limping Bonetti soldiered on to produce an heroic display as Chelsea ran out 2-1 winners in the replay. he was at it again, this time on the continental stage, as Chelsea beat the mighty Real Madrid in the Cup Winners' Cup final replay. From Youth Cup to Europe, via both domestic cup competitions, Bonetti had now been in goal for all four of those club firsts. Surely, no coincidence. And Bonetti. And it's all about the which we have done. Chelsea have won the European Cup Winners' Cup for the first time in the club's history. Six years and plenty of grey hairs later, he was the older, wiser head in a side full of promising youth team products that went on to win promotion. This was one of 13 league campaigns when he played on 30-plus occasions. Incredible consistency for a man approaching 40 years of age. His two decades between Chelsea's posts ended in 1979, but he was back before too long as part of the coaching staff, Eddie Nijveski, his most prominent pupil. Typically, Peter continued working in the game well into his 60s before returning to the bridge to entertain fans young and old as part of the matchday hospitality team. Always smiling, always loved, always remembered. It's goodbye to Chelsea's original number one. Daniel, you hear about Peter Bonetti and his achievements as a Chelsea player. Clearly, he's somebody who lived all his nine lives before we were ever a thought. <laughs> but from what's being said online and, and in all the tributes being paid to him, um, what sense do you get? What do you see? It's it's tough. I mean, like, I, I've been a Chelsea fan for, as we know, just a few years, four years at this point. So even players like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank are, like, ancient to me. That's true. So, I mean, Peter Bernetti played in the, in the 70s. It, it was quite a while ago, and this was obviously a very different game back then. Um, but uh, to have a to have like a captain like that, that was so like beloved, it's it's really something that's a little bit rare in this modern game. Like now, you have like mercenary players who are treated from club to club and don't care where they play. They just do it for the money. Ibrahimovic. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's really special for a club to have somebody who is just so dedicated and so like, integrated with the club. I mean, to have, like, 700, I believe, appearances. Oh, oh, I think over 700. Over appearances. 700 appearances. It's yeah. it's insane. Over, like, a 20-year span yeah. is incredible. And what I'd give to have a player like him playing for us now. Right. I don't know. We just might see that with our current young, young crop of players. Some of the cool things that I found out about Peter Benetti, he was the first goalkeeper in Europe. To start wearing gloves. Really? Yeah. I didn't know this. I, I just found this out this morning as I was getting ready for this podcast and just looking into his life. Uh, but he was the first one. So who knows? If he didn't start wearing gloves, those dumb keepers might still <laughs> be playing without any gloves. And so thanks to Peter Benetti for that. And maybe my favorite thing that I found out about him was that the uh, Chelsea Academy at the time... I mean, way back when, only gave him 
a trial and allowed him into their system because his mother sent in a letter asking them to just give him a chance. And they did. Huh. That's still how I get things done. So, <laughs> Well, it just made me think that the moment my child's born, I'm sending, start sending letters to every club in the world, starting with Chelsea. Right now, obviously our listeners can't see, but right now I'm wearing a, a jersey that is a replica of the 1970 FA Cup winning jersey um, and that was released by Chelsea earlier this year. <clears throat> we both have. We do. You uh, got me mine. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You are my partner in this podcast after all. But he was the, the, the keeper that led us to that uh, FA Cup glory in 1970. And so he just seems like a real modern keeper in a bygone era. And I hope that we do have, just as you said, I hope that we do have more and more players that are kind of formed in his DNA uh, that just comes to the club, stays with the club pretty much. For his entire life, because even after he stopped playing, he's he had been heavily involved with the club uh, throughout his life. So, there you have it, Peter Benetti. Okay, so we have, uh, for the second week running, we have a listener's question that was sent in. Uh, so, this is part one, a listener's question. Amelia Gonzalez, uh, I have a feeling I might know who that is, but Amelia <laughs> Gonzalez... One of my favorite kids uh, sent us a question, and I'm going to let you read the question itself. Or the, It's more of a comment. It really is. A command. <laughs> a, a request, if you will. It's both. It's everything at once. Uh, uh, a lot shorter than our last, our last listener questions. This one simply reads, I would like to see an episode on the worst and best Chelsea transfers. You got it, Emilio. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I suggested to you is that maybe we stick to the last 10 years because otherwise we will be here all day talking about the best and worst transfers. We can save that for another episode. Yeah. You know, the previous 100 years yeah. or so of transfers. <laughs> I'll let you go first. Um, let's hear uh, one best and one worst of your transfers and why. Okay. I'll start with bad first. Okay. You know, always want to end on a good note. And I'm going to take this in pairs, right? So you'll see what I mean. Okay. For my worst transfer, not not the worst, but one of the least pleasant in recent memory, for me it has to be Bakayoko. Okay. And this is not the thing I think, like, people think of Bakayoko as a bad transfer, but in recent years there's a few others, especially in that midfield that people kind of bring up especially as especially bad transfers. But for me, Bakayoko is kind of like a personally, it really hurts me that things <laughs> didn't really pan out. And they still might. He's still technically a Chelsea player. But Bakayoko was kind of brought in to be this partner for Conte. And they had this great song that I loved so much. Uh, should absolutely, if you haven't heard it, you should absolutely look up the Bakayoko chant for Chelsea because it's amazing. But it didn't quite pan out for him and uh, 40 million pounds to get him in uh, a little bit more than Conte actually to bring him in and he started off promising he had a few really good games I believe he had a game against Tottenham where he came in still slightly injured and absolutely like changed the game for us and absolutely. bringing us back into that one and he was just this this great player. He played with Monaco in the semifinal up to the semifinals of the Champions League. 
and it looked like the perfect fit for us. And the fact that it wasn't was just so disappointing to me. And I don't think he's a bad player. He's still like showing that he has these like flashes of quality, but the fact that he just couldn't make it work here is is what's most disappointing to me. Yeah, I think his Chelsea career is gone. I don't yeah. think there's and with, especially with young guys coming in and fighting for the same places and guys like uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek coming back from injury and everything. I don't think there's a place for him anymore, unfortunately. So I do agree with you that he's one of our worst signings. I also had him on my list. And by the way, you haven't seen my list, and I haven't seen your no, list, no. so this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, okay, give us your best. All right. It's the, it's the other side of that coin. It's Nicolo Conte. I had to bring him up. He's the greatest. I love him. I gotta him. say, that is fantastic that you did that. Nicolo Conte uh, brought in from Leicester City after after their miraculous win in the, cha- in the not the Champions, like the Premier League. The thing about Nicolo Conte is that every year he steps it up, like from, from being in France to moving up to Leicester, helping them win this like miraculous run in for the Premier League, uh, stepping up to Chelsea, wins a second league title, second year in a row. Not only does all of this happen, but he's also just the nicest guy. Yeah. On top of all of that. Yeah. And nobody like nobody saw this coming. Nobody right. saw Chelsea swooping in. It's rare in in like the last few years that Chelsea swoops in and just steals a promising player in their prime, proven for a relatively cheap price. Yeah. It it hasn't happened since Conte. It hasn't. That that a player like that has worked out. So it's it was a surprise that happened, and, and he's it, a he also won the World Cup too recently, and that as well. Vital Cup. part. People yeah. kind of forget that because I don't believe he played in the final. He played in the final. He oh, was he's... substituted after sixty or seventy minutes. Yeah, but uh, I totally remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a while ago. It feels like we've been like two years without soccer. At oh, this absolutely. Point. You're forgiven. But he every team he's a part of. He's a vital part of. He's the engine. He runs the team, and. The fact that Chelsea still have a world-class player in their squad, it, and it's just the greatest person in the world, brings me joy to my heart. Agree. He was also on my list. Uh, N'Golo Kante is definitely one of the very best signings that we've ever had. Uh, to this day, the only Premier League player to win two Premier League titles back-to-back with two different teams. And he was a huge part of both the Leicester winning team and the Chelsea winning team. So that's a huge testament to who he is. All right, I'll give us one best and one worst transfer before throwing it back to you again. For me, our worst transfer, I think, of the last decade is Fernando Torres. It has to be. It's Fernando Torres. And Fernando Torres, unfortunately, is a victim of the kind of leadership that we were under back then. Um, he was a striker that was desired by the owner, but not necessarily by the manager who was managing at the time. He did not fit into Carlo Ancelotti's uh, lineup. He did not fit into his system, but he was he had a few magnificent seasons at Liverpool, and the owner saw that and said, "This is the player I want." And so they pushed for a transfer for Fernando Torres, and unfortunately, it just did not work out. He, um, he was not even half the striker that he was at Liverpool, because at Liverpool, you would see a Fernando Torres that would get the ball 
almost by the corner flag and, you know, dribble through three or four players and score it. And then at Chelsea, you saw Fernando Torres mm-hmm. that, would, that would miss opportunities and chances from six yards out. And uh, I think the most heartbreaking thing I saw that made me go, oh, man, this, this, this is never going to work out is, uh, to this day, what's known as the Torres miss. It's against uh, Man United. Somebody puts him through. He's one-on-one against David De Gea. He does this wonderful little uh, step-over trick to get past him, and he's past him. So he's literally past every defender, past the goalie, and he is right in front of the goal. And he tries to just poke it in with his left foot, and it goes way wide. And then as soon as it goes wide, he just falls on his knees, his face goes into the ground, that image pretty much summarizes for Fernando Torres' time at Chelsea. However... Devil's the, advocate. Devil's advocate, right? The most redeeming thing about his time at Chelsea is um, he never won the Champions League with Liverpool. And he won it with Chelsea. And he scored that goal in the Champions League semifinal. Which we will get to. Which we will get to. Later in the series. At some point <laughs> in the series. Um, but he did score that goal. And so... There is some redemption for good old Fernando, but he has to be undoubted. And for the amount of money that we paid for him, we paid $50 million, um, uh, 10 years ago, which now would probably be somewhere in the 120 to $150 million, I would think. Uh, but we paid in pounds, too. £50 million pounds, uh, back then, and so he definitely has to go as one of the worst Chelsea signings of the last decade. On the flip side of that coin... Just as you did, um, I think that the best high-profile signing that we've had over the last 10 years, and this is an easy pick, is mm-hmm. Eden Hazard. Now, the reason I picked Eden Hazard is because I remember the day that he announced that he was signing for Chelsea. It was, I think it might have been a week and a half or two after we won the Champions League final against Bayern Munich. And he just sent out a tweet that said, I'm signing for the champions of Europe. Simple. Oh, Easy. it was glorious. <laughs> and the thing with Eden Hazard too is we bought him for, I believe, for $32 million, mm-hmm. which is insane. Nothing. Um, yeah, he was a 21-year-old at that point. Every single club in Europe wanted him, the Bayern Munichs and Real Madrid and, and Barcelona, and he came to us. Um, the other team that was really close to signing him was Arsenal, of all teams. Uh, thank God they didn't. But Eden Hazard <laughs> comes into Chelsea, and I mean, the rest is history, right? He is off to a great start where he wins, uh, I believe, in his first game as a Chelsea player. He scored a. He, nope, he won a penalty, and then he assisted a second goal. And then in the uh, game that followed, he scored his first goal. And when I think of Eden Hazard on his day, there is almost. No other player that gives me more joy to watch. He is just unbelievable. And he was also a player that produced just incredible performances for Chelsea over and over again. Uh, there would be a game after game after game where we wouldn't have been able to win had it not been a moment of magic from Fernando Torres. Even if he Fernando was Torres. from Eden Hazard. Oh my goodness. <laughs> from Eden Hazard. Even if he didn't uh he wasn't the one to score or assist the goal the thing with eden hazard was he had three or four players just like sucked to wherever he was that it would leave plenty of opportunities uh for other players to come in and score a great example of that is a goal that ramirez scored against manchester united i think in 2013 
or 14. Um, and it's it's like an FA Cup, uh, an F FA Cup game or something like that. But it's an extra time. The game, I think, is 4-4 or 3-3, or three, three, something insane like that. And um, Eden Hazard is right outside the box. And you just have four Manchester United players just like rush to where he is. And he just somehow finds a way to just sneak it right past them to Ramirez, who has an open net, and he scores. So uh, Eden Hazard is undoubtedly, for me, the best Chelsea signing of the last 10 years. He had to be on my list, too. Hazard, you can't argue with that. Okay, so who are your next combination of best and worst? Okay, I'm going with another slightly different sort of a uh, slightly different sort of player from Bakayoko. It has to be Alvaro Morata for me. Ah. It's... The, okay. the new incarnation of Fernando yeah, Torres. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Spanish. <laughs> number nine. <laughs> Inherited that number nine curse, unfortunately. Yes, he did. Okay. The thing with Morata is that everyone thinks he started off great. And he, and he started off pretty well. He scored lots of goals. I feel like I have to remind you and any other Chelsea listeners that we have... I hope we don't have any Arsenal listeners. That'd be odd. That'd be odd. Morata did not start off well because at the time he was supposed to go to United. That's right. He was supposed to be. I mean, the big rumors that were kind of floating around at the time was that Lukaku from Everton, a Chelsea fan, came from Chelsea before going to Everton, supposed to like kind of made it big. Lukaku was supposed to come to Chelsea, and Morata from Real Madrid was supposed to go to Manchester United, and it kind of fit with what each club was doing at the time and it's not I don't believe it's confirmed but there was a lot of rumors that before the Chelsea transfer went through that Morata actually dyed his hair red that he was planning that he was so excited and so ready to go I know about this it it's not confirmed he did get like a buzz cut right before he got the transfer oh, yeah. and there's a lot of like little like news outlets where you can see that there's might be shades of red in there it's not a hundred percent i could be just throwing out rumors but if that's true it's not the best start to a chelsea career unless he dyed his hair red to just signify the very little bit of red that's in the chelsea crest which i highly highly doubt highly doubt and okay so marata transfer record start off pretty well he had that aspect like what the connection where aspect like what that would have that great like graceful cross in from the right it would land perfectly on Morata's head and just like float on in and he, it seemed like everything was going well for us and he just kind of steadily dropped off more and more it's missing open nets and he had this problem where if he had to think too much about the goal he was going to score he was never going to put it on target and even tried to change his number in in a sort of suspicious kind of luck based uh, effort to to get away from that Chelsea curse of number nine changed to number 19 which didn't work out for him unfortunately and now he's gone we have more strikers in but it was it wasn't it wasn't terrible it was not Fernando Torres level but it was just kind of the same Bakayoko-esque mediocrity that we know he could do better than than that Morata was definitely a better player than he shown at Chelsea and Unfortunately, he might have to find that form at a different club because his career here is absolutely over. So, on the flip side to Morata, another Spanish player. I don't know if you guessed it. It's got to be Cesar Aspilicueta. Oh, you stole it from me. <laughs> I mean, 
How could I not? I have a jersey. It was my second jersey at Aspie Lick What This Name after Conte. That's true. I had two, I have two Conte jerseys back to back that I got before I moved to Aspie Lick What The. But come on. Seven million around. That's the reported fee, around seven million. Joined us in 2012. And I don't think anybody saw him becoming the, the leader. Anybody saw him becoming the captain. Anyone saw him making, like, I believe a total of. Two, around 262 appearances for Chelsea just in the Premier League, yeah. including playing every single game of that title-winning season, 16-17. Yeah. And I think the season after. Or he, maybe he might have missed one game. He missed game one game the, following the season, season after. And then back to 38 games for 2018-2019. And would have gotten it this year. Actually, I don't know if he missed a game. He probably missed a game because of Reese James. Yeah, I think he was, he, was, um, he was given some rest for a few games. Yeah, he, he needs it after... Putting in, since 2015-2016, 37 appearances, 38 appearances, 37 appearances, 38 appearances, year after year after year. By far the most consistent player we've had in the last decade or so. I can't speak for before 2016, but he's a player that started on the right, moved to the left just to accommodate the squad. Mm -hmm. uh, Did a great job holding down left back for many years before... Moving back to the right to be on the right side of a back three as a center back yep. for Antonio Conte. Arguably, I'd say the player who has played the most out of position yeah, in that I'd season. So. I'd say so. Um, and putting in a great shift there uh, before moving, being moved back to right back once Saudi came in. And just being plugged in wherever he's needed. He's this great gear that just fits anywhere that a Chelsea squad needs him. I'm sure he could still play as like a right mid if we if we needed him in that position, but he's consistent. He is a great defender, not as good going forward like you need from a fullback in this kind of modern game, but he still puts in like some of the best tackles that I've seen. Uh, great positioning, good head on his shoulders, and is now the captain. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm going <laughs> to give us my best all right. And worst. Um, I'm going to switch things up just a little bit. Okay. So, when we think of transfers, usually we're thinking transfers in. And how we've been talking about, we've, been, we've almost exclusively been talking about players that Chelsea has brought into their team. However, a big part of transfers is also transferring certain players that don't belong in your squad anymore. Getting them out and getting, them money, getting money for them. So... As one of the okay. best transfers in the last decade, I submit to you Alvaro Morata. <laughs> <laughs> Alvaro Morata, after having a horrible season with us, um, somehow the Chelsea board convinced Atletico Madrid to buy him for over $50 million. I mean, we're coping a lot of our losses on that. We're making... I think we got him for 56 and we're selling him for like 53 it's incredible. It is incredible. We're great at selling players. We're great at selling players. Why Atletico want to buy him for that much is beyond me. And and the crazier part, too, is they're taking him on loan first, seeing that he, he's not going to work for them, <laughs> and then still paying $53 million. And so um, I won't say much about him because you talked about his time at the club, but... As one of as somebody who's transferring out of the club, that is definitely one of our best transfers because getting fifty three million for him is going to allow us to have a little bit more flexing power in the transfer market when it does reopen and when we want to go and buy uh, players. So, 
Alvaro Morata is worst signings, best sales. However, on the flip side of that, we have, uh, and I'm going to take three players into one because it all happened within the same amount of time under the same manager whose oh. name I'm not even going to mention. I can see where this is going. Um, but Jose Mourinho <laughs> comes in for his second reign at Chelsea and he sells arguably two of the best Premier League players in, in, in this day and age and an incredible striker in Romelu Lukaku. Uh, he comes back to Chelsea and he sells Mohamed Salah, he sells Romelu Lukaku, and he sells Kevin De Bruyne. It's rough. That's it's, pretty, that's pretty it's bad. Absolutely. And when you think of um, Mohamed Salah, he was a huge part of the Liverpool team that won the Champions League, and he would have been a huge part of the Liverpool team that would have won the league this season if we had still been playing. They definitely would have had it wrapped up by now. Um, when you think of Kevin De Bruyne, he... I mean, that Manchester City team wouldn't even look the same without him. The record-breaking seasons that they had, um, in each of those seasons, he had record-breaking numbers as far as assists, chances created, and all those things go. And all of these guys were sold. One, all of them were like between age like 20 to 21 when they were sold, which is a huge... It was just a bummer because... Um, this is a case of Mourinho looking at a player at 20 or 21 and saying, you're just not good enough. You won't make it at this club, so we're going to sell you. And we didn't get any kind of like significant fee for any of them. They were all... Uh, Mohamed Salah was sold to... I think it was Fiorentina. They, he was sold to Fiorentina, and then Fiorentina sold him to Roma. Then from Roma to Liverpool. Didn't make any money on him. Kevin De Bruyne was sold to Wolfsburg, and then Man City bought him from there. And Lukaku was sold to Everton. And the thing about Lukaku, as soon as he was sold, he just started banging in goals for, for Everton. <laughs> he's, the, he's the highest uh, scoring striker of all time in the Premier League. That's incredible. And so I look at those three guys, and when you calculate the amount of goals and assists they've had in the Premier League for other clubs, and if all those goals and assists happened at Chelsea... I think that we would have had a minimum of two more, maybe three more titles just in the Premier League alone with those guys. Now, granted, they may not have, had, they may not have reached the same levels that they reached in, in other clubs, etc. But still, that is huge potential that was wasted with us selling those guys. And so, huge bummer that we sold those guys on the cheap. To put an asterisk on this, number one... You hate Mourinho. It's a, it's a well-known fact. I don't hate... I strongly <laughs> dislike. You have a vendetta against Mourinho. Mm -hmm. You definitely have something to say about him. And to play devil's advocate, once again, young players, 2021. I'm not disagreeing with you. Just throwing another spit on things. I think that, you're disagreeing with me. <laughs> it's definitely, definitely would love to have had Salah, De Bruyne. Lukaku's all right. I'll take him. <laughs> yeah, I'll take them. Yeah. Why not? But it's they're just not the quite the complete players. I don't think they might have had they might not have had the development that they needed at Chelsea, you know, trying to start ahead of these like already established veterans, especially under Mourinho that season. I don't think they would have seen any game time at all any game time at all. And Mourinho's not especially known for playing youth players at all. He likes his veterans. 
Totally agree. 100%. Which is one of my problems with him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and you can really only look at... If you look up Mohamed Salah, Chelsea miss, you can see why Mourinho wanted to sell him. Because all you have to do is look up those four words, and you could see perhaps one of the worst shots in soccer history uh, that Mo Salah takes. Uh, just look it up. I won't spoil it for you. It's easy to find. You'll find a video. And it's... He's def they definitely were not the, the complete players they were now. To play devil's advocate against my own devil's advocate, I agree with you. It would have been great to see them here. Double, de double devil's double advocate. Double devil's advocate. <laughs> Try to say that three times fast. <laughs> but I like that. That was pretty good. Put a yeah. nice spin on things. Yeah. I, we also sold Nathan Ake, and then we've been like trying to buy him ever since we sold him, <laughs> which completely makes no sense. Uh, but yeah, I think that the Chelsea board has had some hits and misses for sure. But that's our take on some of the best and worst transfers in and out over the last 10 years. All right, welcome back, listeners. So in this part, we are beginning a brand new series called Road to Champions League Glory where we take a look at the 2011 and 12 Champions League run that ended with us winning the Champions League in Munich in May of 2012. It was, uh, for me personally, it was one of my favorite times as a Chelsea fan, and I know for a fact that for many Chelsea fans, it is. So, we are going to rewind and relive it, um, and as we do that, we invite you to just join us in this journey. We are going to take a look at maybe a game or two every episode, and so this should last a few weeks, and we should all enjoy it and pretend like we are currently in it. So we will be champions of Europe again in a couple of weeks. Uh, so with that said, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Daniel, who is going to just quickly recap um, some of our previous Champions League uh, fails, if you will, or how Champions League campaigns had ended prior to the 2012 winning season. Daniel, over to you. To do this series properly, I feel that it's important that we kind of set the stage. 2012 was this great year for Chelsea fans. It's kind of like the high, but it was definitely a mountain that had to be climbed to get there. To properly, like, show how much this meant beyond being the Champions League, beyond being Abramovich's goal for the club since he first bought it, we really have to show the low, low points of Chelsea in prior years. I know this is going to be painful for you, Maddie, because <laughs> I did not live through this. So I already knew about these things, but going back and revisiting them and kind of, you know, taking notes, watching games, watching highlights, it was painful for me. Yep. So I don't know how bad it was for you, Watching this yeah. live, I'm sure it was terrible. So, for those of you who don't know, the beginning that we are going to take this at is going to be the 2007-2008 season. At this point, Chelsea have already they've won the Premier League twice at this point, I believe. Uh, Mourinho, top of his game during like, earlier in the season, it's at the top of his game. Midway through this season, Mourinho was fired. Man we are now managed by Everin Grant. Everim Grant. So Chelsea are this is kind of like after that first crest. We've bought a lot of players. Chelsea's making a name for themselves on the world stage. And 2008 or 2007, 2008, finally Chelsea make it to their first European final. It's the first Champions League final for Chelsea ever. 
It's the first meeting of Chelsea and Manchester United in European competition. It's never happened before despite playing each other multiple times in the Premier League. And if you look at the starting lineups for this final, 2008, it's classic. I'm sure you remember this. Oh yeah, I do. Quite well. For Chelsea, it's basically your starting ele- your your By best all- 11 of all time. <laughs> yeah. Right? We got Czech, we got Terry, Carvalho, Ashley Cole, Essien, Balak, Lampard, Makaleli, Drogba. We also got Joe Cole and Maluda. Yeah. We're still great players. Yep. Not in your all-time 11, but still great no, players. But at, but at the time, they were they were performing really, really well for Chelsea. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that they made the Champions League final squad and mm-hmm. starting 11. And for Manchester United, it's a great squad. I know it you is. hate to admit it. It is. You, you got Ronaldo. Yep. Running down the wing, still doing his dribbles at this point. Probably have Paul Scholes in there. I, yeah. I, I haven't looked this up, so I'm going to try and do this from All memory. All right, let's see, let's see. Let's see. Their keeper was Edwin van der Sar. Yep. Right back, they probably had Gary Neville. It is not true. It is not true. It is not true. Did they have Wes Brown? It was Wes Brown. Ah, Wes, 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 Wes Brown. Brown. Wes Brown. And then in the middle, did they have Rio Ferdinand and Emmanuel Vidic? Yep, that is and correct. And then was uh, Patrice Evra their left back? Yes, sir. And then, this way it gets hard for me. In the middle, did they have... Paul Scholes. Was Paul Scholes in that team? That's correct. Uh, did they have Owen Hargreaves? Yes. And... Oof. Do you have a formation pulled up? I do. What's the formation? This looks like a 4-4-2 to me. Okay. So... Ryan Giggs on the left. No? I already named a player for you. You should have this Cristiano already. Ronaldo? There you go. Um, so who's on the right? I'll spoil this for you. Spoil it for me. Yeah. Carrick? Oh, Michael Carrick. In that team. And up top, playing in that front two. Wayne Rooney and Carlos Tevez. Yeah, that's correct, sir. Okay, yeah. So so for those of you who don't know, this is a great United team. Yeah, and it's hurt me so much that I still remember it <laughs> 12 years later. This is Alex Ferguson, Alex Ferguson, one of the greatest managers of all time, managing this team against interim manager Avram Grant. Yeah. So it's it's a bit of a mismatch in terms of managerial experience, but still, these are classic teams, great players playing for the final. Uh, I believe it was the first time that two English teams have faced each other in the final as well, so this was a big, big occasion. And on top of that, this was the anniversary of the Munich air disaster. I did not know that. That unfortunately happened with Manchester United uh, real quick. Uh, years before, there was a plane crash, unfortunately killed eight United players at the time. Yep. So it was a big emotional moment for them. It was a big match. Yeah. A lot match. riding on it. Uh, Abramovich was there. It, it, it was... And it was in Russia. It was in mm-hmm. Moscow. It, it was in Moscow. And we have a Russian owner mm-hmm. who has the opportunity to win the Champions League in his homeland. There's a lot riding on this. Yeah. So it, it felt like one of those fairy tale moments. Whichever team won it, it was going to be a huge deal. So first first half, it's all United. It's United making attacks, Ronaldo running down, doing those doing those little tricks that he likes, those dribbles, running past, putting in lots of crosses, putting in lots of shots. Uh, and he actually scores in that first half pretty early on. And it looks like from a corner. Yeah, that's correct. Classic Ronaldo. Classic Ronaldo. So it looks like Chelsea's on the ropes at this point, but... Somebody had something to say about it. 
and Super Frank Lampard. Who other yep. than current Chelsea manager Lampard scoring in the last minute of the first half to pull it back. Yeah. Second half, Chelsea comes out screaming, basically. They run in and they're going. It's it's absolutely a flip from that first half. Chelsea's like running forward, putting in crosses, putting in shots. Uh Drogba hits the post in this point, and they've had lots of chances coming back and forth, and it feels like another winner is coming. Uh Real quick, before I forget, a nice moment that happened is that after Lampard scores his goal in that first half, he actually dedicates that goal to his mother. Yep, who, who had just, just passed, passed away. away a few yeah. weeks before. It's got a lot of emotion running on this so match. So much. So, oh my goodness. Unfortunately, nothing happens. Game goes to extra time, and in extra time, Lampard hits the bar. It the underside does. to the bar. You couldn't be more close. Uh, to anyone... Uh, listening to this, I recommend you absolutely watch the highlights of this game. Or yeah. watch the full game if you can, because yeah. it's an incredible game. Uh, unfortunately, everything goes to penalties. Didier Drogba gets sent off before oh, that. I almost forgot about this. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, the very, very last part of Extra Time is a fight happens. Yeah. I don't know exactly what starts it. I believe Carlos Te- Tevez kind of like signals to pressure. Something small. Something yeah. not. Something not really worth it, but... This kind of small gesture sets off this heated exchange between players, and there ends up being a coming together between United and Chelsea players. And in this kind of mess, Drogba, on video, slaps uh, Vidic. Vidic? Yep, it was deserved. (laughs) It was, absolutely. But unfortunately, because of that, Drogba gets a red card, which ends up being incredibly important. Yeah. So the game goes to penalties. It's at 2-2. Uh, both players on each team have already scored, and United's going first in these. So Ronaldo steps up, does this dumb stutter run-up that I really hate, <laughs> and runs up, has a decent, you know, it's an all-right kick, but saved. Petr Cech. By Petr Cech. Come on, Petr Cech. And so everything's looking great for us. Uh, every other player scores, and going up, it's 4-4. Four to four. Who other... To step up, then John Terry, captain, leader, legend. This penalty should have been meant for Drogba. Right. Penalty taker, big game player. Unfortunately, with a red card, could not participate. So <sighs> it had to be John Terry stepping up, taking this big moment onto his shoulders. And it, unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. As he runs up, John Terry slips slightly on his left foot. Kicks it. Uh, Venishal dives the wrong way. Yeah, he sends the keeper the wrong It was a great penalty. It would have been Yeah. if it went into the net. Right. Unfortunately, it goes wide. It hits the post. It hits the post and then goes wide. And you can see him just fall to the ground afterwards yep. because he knows that was the moment. Even though technically we didn't lose it. We did not. At that point, we had just failed to win it with that kick. But the way that he reacted, it was exactly as if we actually lost, which was such a bummer. Yeah, and I believe it sent, it probably sent the rest of the squad into yep. just despair at that moment. Yep. And you can hear like the crowd cheer from Manchester United after, after that goes on. Unfortunately, United goes on to win this game, and all the Chelsea players are down on the ground, head in their hands, most of all, John Terry. And afterwards, many players say it's not his fault. Uh, 
put no blame on him and stuff, but you know he took all of that guilt on for himself. So, after the season, Adam Grant obviously fired the Abramovich way. But we move on to... Well, he, he wasn't fired. He was brought in as an interim coach uh, until we find a permanent coach. And so his time was just up, and so he ended up leaving. Next year, it's another year. It's another chance for Chelsea to win it, and they came so close. It's 2008-2009. Uh, new manager is actually uh, Scolari. I did not know this before researching this because yeah. I didn't know anything about this. Luis Felipe Scolari. Famed manager of Brazil... And even if you're not a soccer fan listening to this podcast, for whatever reason you are, you know what happened to Brazil in that World Cup. 7-1. And who was the manager other than Scolari? Yeah. This was after. This was a few years after this happened. Right. But he was he was also the uh, Brazil manager in 2002 when they won mm-hmm. the World Cup. So he was the Brazil manager between 2002 and I think 2006. Um, and then he took a break from international coaching or managing, and then he signed for Chelsea, and things got off to a great start. And then, and then this is what happened. So Scholar is fired, middle of the season. It's the Abramovich way. It's how he does things. And we are taken over by another interim manager, Gus Hiddink. So. On a side note, what's the what's the deal with Chelsea Champions League stories and interim managers? Because it seems we can't finish a storied Champions League I, season. I think that's the trick. The trick is fire whoever we have right around January or February. Bring in an interim manager and they will actually take us to Champions League glory. Or we'll come close to it. Because if you know anything about 2012, spoilers. <laughs> so... There's not as much... I mean, there's a lot to say about this. I don't want to take up too much time just because I'm sure many people know the story, and this is a lot more painful to relive than yeah, Manchester you're, United. You're, you're torturing me. <laughs> I could see the pain on your face right now. So, 2008-2009, uh, Champions League. Uh, actually, in the quarterfinal, right before, this, right before Chelsea go out in dramatic fashion... Chelsea actually plays a, a classic game with Liverpool, which we should absolutely take a look back on yeah. at some point. Uh, real quick, uh, in the first leg, Chelsea win 3-1, commanding uh, win. And in the second leg, it's a 4-4 draw. Chelsea coming back twice to tie it up at the end and going through on a total of 7-5. Or, yes, 7-5, which is insane. Which sounds like this kind of story you get when you're about to win a Champions League. It was not to be. So things start off well for Chelsea in this. They're drawn in the semifinal to Barcelona. And things actually do start off well because in uh, in the first leg at the Camp Nou, Chelsea have a 0-0 draw, the first team not to concede a goal at the Camp Nou during this season. So it's great. That's what Chelsea's known for during this time period. Defensive strength That's mm-hmm. what it is. Petr Cech making important saves, as he's known to do. But, in the second leg, I know, I'm savoring the torture that you, you have are. right now. You just know that this is the Pearl Harbor of like <laughs> my, my, my story as a Chelsea fan. This is the Pearl Harbor. I won't go into as much detail about it. Essien, beginning of this leg, uh, gives Chelsea the lead 
with a criminally forgotten volley because it's amazing. It's a left-footed volley early in the game that puts Chelsea out in front, and they start off this game pretty strong. But after that, it goes all downhill. Uh, fairly, I mean, experienced. He was an experienced referee. This Tom Henning, I don't know how to pronounce this. He's Norwegian. Yeah. We have trouble with this. We have trouble with Norwegians. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Of Rebo. That's probably that's, completely wrong. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tom, the referee. <laughs> there are four penalty appeals put forward by Chelsea during this match. Each one of them is shot down by Tom, including two handballs, two clear, obvious handballs that happen right in front of him. Throughout this match, I believe about half the highlights are Didier Drogba rolling around on the ground, screaming at the air because of how angry he is that each of these do not get called. It's 1-0 throughout this entire game. Chelsea are going through, but they have the chance again and again and again to put the game away. And each time, it's not given. Referee wasn't looking. He's He waves away every single penalty claim over and over and over and over and over again. And at the very end, in the 93rd minute, with the only goal on target for Barcelona only in the shot. game. Only on shot target. on target. Yep. My bad. From outside the penalty area, Andres Iniesta puts forward a, a shot, and it curls right in outside the reach of Petr Cech. And it's 1-1. Overall, 1-1. But because of the away goals rule, if you're not aware... Whoever scores the most away goals in a Champions League tie during this time. I don't know if they've changed this at this point. They change rules all the time that I'm not aware of. But during this, at least during this time, whoever scores the most away goals, if everything's tied up on aggregate, goes through. So although it only although it ended 1-1, Barcelona scored an away goal. Chelsea did not in that first leg. So Chelsea out. Barcelona into the final, which they end up winning. And there's a one of the best interviews in soccer history afterwards with Chelsea players, you know, surrounding the ref after the game, shouting at him. Michael Ballack, I believe, just completely getting into his face, yeah. shaking him, doing everything yeah. he can to convince it, him. It was a meltdown. Uh, a display of passion, I'd like <laughs> to say it is. But Didier Drogba on live international television yeah. calling the game, quote, a effing disgrace. Yeah. Which is true. Everyone was thinking it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I totally agree with everything that was going on on the sidelines. I probably was reacting the same way internally, too. Um, and for players like Michael Ballack and Didier Drogba, who were the most expressive on that night, what made sense was that this was, this was prime Drogba. This was prime Ballack, prime Lampard and Terry. This was them at their best. And so... This was a team that was assembled that could have and probably should have won the Champions League. When they didn't, it was that much more hurtful. I mean, it must have felt like a fairy tale story that just got cut off in the middle. Exactly. For you. It, yeah, it, 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 was the, it was the happy story that was just like almost completed that we never ever got. And when Didier Drogba and, and Balak were out there just irrationally 
harassing this referee who by the way years down the line came out and like said yeah I got everything completely wrong in that game when they were doing that I think we just got a good glimpse into how much it meant to the club and to those players to be able to win the Champions League or get to the final and have another shot at it um, but yet again it was something that was taken away because of like these external circumstances that really Chelsea players and fans and board could do nothing about. So thanks Daniel for kind of reviewing <laughs> 2007 and 8 and 8 and 9 and putting me through all that pain again. Uh, but I do think that we are primed to uh, go on to the next part of this series, we, which will be so much more enjoyable. And so we want to invite you to join us next week as we talk more about uh, the, the, the season, the 2011 uh, season and how it got us ready for the Champions League triumph that we went into. Um, before we do that, we want to share a couple of helpful notes with you. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you are going to get to hear about how you can get in touch with us. All right. Well, if you have stayed with us this long, we appreciate you. We thank you. And this is what you get to hear about now. <laughs> if you want to get a hold of us and if you want to send in a question, if you want to send in a comment or any discussion ideas and stuff like that, you can email us at um, you can email us using academyofblues at gmail.com. We also have a very low but sweet presence, if you will, <laughs> on social media. Um, you can... What's our handle, Daniel? It's Academy of Blues. Academy of Blues, just like our podcast. On Instagram and Twitter. We've made it easy for you. So give us a follow, um, like us, comment, uh, subscribe, reach out to us on there too if you would like. We'd be happy to hear from anyone who is listening. So with that said, this is the end of episode four of Academy of Blues. I've been Maddie. I've been Daniel. And you have been listening to Academy of Blues. Thank you, and we will see you next week. Thank you.